Episode number 269 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School, helping you go from blank page to published author in as little as 90 days and giving you your own free copy of the book published by Chandler Bolt. Sign up to get the free book and the free training right now at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. They ask the right questions, not only are they convincing you, the seller, but they're also convincing themselves why this is important to move forward. And that taps into the urgency and the readiness for them that says, yep, I'm ready to move forward because this is important enough to solve. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. This is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. My name is Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Now, the Read to Lead podcast is designed to help you narrow this reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today, we'll be joined by Ian Altman. Ian is the co-author, along with Jack Quarles, of the book Same Side Selling, how integrity and collaboration drive extraordinary results for sellers and buyers. I'll be asking Ian to share about how to move from the adversarial trap, often a part of sales, to sharing a common goal with your potential clients, simple ways to stand out from the competition, how to get past what your prospect needs to why they would buy, and much, much more. Why you would pass up the offer of a free book is beyond me. After all, you're listening to a podcast about business books. One I want to give to you for free is called Published by my friend Chandler Bolt. You can find it on Amazon right now for about 15 bucks, and I think it's got about 500 or so positive ratings. It's a book I own. It's a book we've featured here on the podcast, and it's a book you can get for free right now. And all you need to do is sign up for Chandler's free training all about how to become a self-published author. In fact, Chandler's training takes you from blank page to published author in about 90 days. Chandler contends you need a proven system in place that you can follow so that writing a book doesn't have to be hard, and his system is exactly that. You can find out all about it, about the free training, and get the book sent to you for free, the book called Published, when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published right now. As a CEO for two decades, Ian Altman started, sold, and grew his business services and technology companies from zero to over $1 billion, billion with a B, dollars in value. He has since spent years researching how customers make decisions, and his modern approach to sales and marketing is known for helping organizations around the world achieve explosive growth. A leading authority on accelerating business growth, Ian is currently recognized as one of the 30 global gurus on sales. He hosts the weekly podcast, Same Side Selling, available on iTunes, and you can read hundreds of his articles on Forbes and Inc., and he is the co-author, along with Jack Quarles, of the best-selling book, Same Side Selling, How Integrity and Collaboration Drive Extraordinary Results for Sellers and Buyers. I want to give a shout out to Mark Schaefer, who introduced us. Ian, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, and thank you, Mark. Jeff, thanks so much for having me here, and, and a, a similar shout-out to Mark for connecting us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if the if the title, Same Side Selling, sounds familiar to you, it may be because the book came out five years ago, and you heard about it then back in 2014. This is the all-new uh, second edition. Well, what's new and different about this second edition? Ian, I own the first copy. Why should I want to own the second one, too? Well, there are things that 
there's there's a few different things. One is over the last five years in working with hundreds of, of different companies, we discovered there were things that weren't in the book mm. that were fundamental elements of people achieving great success. There were also things that when Jack and I wrote the first version of the book, we said uh, the book absolutely has to have this piece in it. <laughs> and upon further review, we've decided that some of those elements weren't as important as we originally thought they were. So there are pieces that we have removed from the book. There are sections that in hindsight, we said we're not as clear as they could have or should have been. And there are some fundamental elements and some tools that weren't in the book that are there now mm. that allow people to get a faster adoption of these principles to achieve results. I know when I was young, I had this sort of, uh, uh, well, numerous mindset issues when it came to sales. It was never anything back then that I considered myself good at or was successful at. And part of the reason I think for that is this sort of us versus them kind of mindset that I had about the whole process. How do you and Jack tackle that in the book? This thing that, that I think a lot of us are guilty of, this us versus them approach. If you think about it, almost every sales book that's ever been written uses either a game metaphor mm. or a battle metaphor. So in a game metaphor, we have a winner and a loser. <laughs> in a battle metaphor, the loser dies. <laughs> and then we and then we wonder why we end up in these adversarial traps. So my my co-author Jack is a guy you can probably tell from his last name Quarles. Jack spent two decades in purchasing and procurement. He hates when I say that. And and one of the things that we bake into every chapter of same side selling is what's going through the buyer's mind. So for starters, mm. the metaphor that we use in same side selling is a puzzle. Mm. And the concept is, look, I've got puzzle pieces. My client has puzzle pieces. Our job is to lay our pieces on the table and see whether or not they fit together. And what it does is it makes it so that two people can't put a puzzle together if they're not collaborating, if they're mm. not cooperating, it's just not going to work. And let's face it, if we don't have the pieces from the same puzzle, then it's never going to come together. And what it does, it makes it so instead of an us versus them adversarial relationship, it fosters this, this atmosphere of collaboration. And when something's not a fit, we don't feel rejection. We just said, oh. They had different pieces than we have. Mm. That's okay. Let me go find someone who I can help better than these people. And so that mindset gives people the permission to not feel defeated just because somebody wasn't a fit. Mm. I think most of us are familiar Ian, with the advice of you know, to leverage what makes you unique, your unique selling proposition, and not to attempt to be you know all things to all people, of course. But what are some of the advantages, of, as you guys lay them out in the book, to limiting ourselves to just the clients and just the situations where we can deliver the most impact? Well, the, the way I look at it is this is, and I've, I've done a lot of this research into how people make and approve decisions. Mm. And what happens, so I've done this research with over 10,000 CEOs and executives. Oh, and wow. fundamentally, what people ask when they're faced with a decision is, what problem does this solve? Why do I need it? And what's the likely outcome or result? Mm. So if I know that those are the questions that people are asking, then if I start by saying, here are the kind of problems I'm good at solving for this type of audience, then I get known in that space. So one of we as part of this second edition of Same Side Selling, on the website, on the Same Side Selling website, we have all this bonus content of case studies of different companies. Mm. And one of the companies this makes me think of is a company called Optimal Networks. And Optimal Networks is what's called in the technology space a managed service provider. So basically, mm -hmm. they provide information technology services to companies. And if you had asked them a few years ago, they would have said, oh, yeah, we provide this to all types of different companies. Mm -hmm. 
And so when working with them, I said, well, so who are the companies you help the most? Mm. And it came down to, well, the people we help the most really are professional services companies, trade associations, and law firms. And I said, well, what if you just carved out a niche in those three areas? And I was talking to the CEO, Hainan Landa, last week, and he says to me, you know, so I was at a conference last week and some and I introduced myself to somebody and they said and these these people were it was somebody who was a partner in a law firm and the guy looked at him and said, Oh, you're the guys who specialize in law firms. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you. Mm. So when we focus on the areas where we can provide the greatest value, when we focus on specific types of clients and types of problems, you start to build a positive reputation for serving that audience. Because let's face it, none of us has ever referred somebody to a phenomenal generalist. Oh, here's somebody who's really <laughs> okay at five things. Mm. It's always that specialist. And to the extent that you can focus on the things that you do best, then you don't get judged by where you're mediocre. You're always getting evaluated by what you do best. And I liked the phrase you use a couple of times in the book, owning your hill instead of uh, sharing, I think it is somebody else's mountain. Am I getting that right? That may have been something that we said. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to. I, I love. I love the line. So I hope we wrote it. <laughs> if not, it's someone else's book, and it's brilliant. But I always say that the best stuff in the book, Jack probably wrote. Oh, okay. gotcha, gotcha. And fortunately, fortunately, he says the same thing about me. So probably somewhere in the middle is. Uh, you know, it was really a great collaboration, and uh, I love it's it. It's all worked out well. Well, one of my favorite chapters is chapter three. It's one I'm going to go back and, and reread uh, for sure. Why do you say that the most important question you need to answer uh, is not what a prospect needs, but why they would buy? And you get into this whole idea in chapter three of entice and disarm and discover. Can, can you unpack that? Yeah. So, so the idea is that very often what we are best at is describing what it is that we do. <laughs> and so someone says, oh, well, I'm an IT services company, for example. If I if I piggyback on this, this example with other people at Optimal Networks, so I'm an IT services provider. Mm. But then you're commoditized and everyone is seen as the, same, as the same. So instead, what we think about is, what are the symptoms or conditions? What's going on in their world that would make it worth a change for them? Because just because I offer something doesn't mean that somebody has the appetite to change. So, for example, in the case of Optimal Networks, instead of describing to people, oh, we provide IT services, what they say now is they'll approach a law firm and say, well, law firms come to us because they're sick and tired of losing billable work mm. because their systems are down. They're they're really frustrated because they're having trouble attracting younger associates because they feel like their technology stack isn't relevant because it's harder for them to do work than it is to do stuff that they're used to doing at home. Mm. Or they don't have security sufficient so that they can work confidently from home or remotely, which means they're not responding to clients. They might be losing business. So in none of those descriptions am I talking about IT services. What I'm talking about is what happens to the organization if they can't fix these things. And then the model of entice, disarm, and discover, something we call the same side pitch, would say, gee, so our clients come to us when they're facing those problems. Now I want to disarm the notion that I'm just there to sell something. So I would say to them, but, but only about half the law firms we talk to are the right fit for how we approach that. So I don't yet know that we can help you. Mm. But if solving those sorts of things is important to you, I'm happy to learn more to see if we might be able to help. And what it does is it makes it so that now you're focused on what problem you solve and why it might be worth solving. And you're being candid and saying, 
a lot of the people we talk to just aren't the right fit for how we approach it. So you tell me if this is important enough to solve, I'm happy to help you try and find a solution. In many organizations, we get excited by somebody who just expresses interest. Most companies waste too much time pursuing opportunities that just the client was never going to make an investment because the problem wasn't worth solving. Well, sort of the, the other end of that spectrum is when the buyer, potential buyer, is very ready, very uh, sees it as very urgent. Talk about that as it really urgency and readiness in particular as it relates to the buyer and, and the importance of having an understanding of both those qualities as a seller. You talk about you know, in that chapter, I think, define the issue and define the impact and define the importance. Yeah, what, what we look at is, in essence, that, so remember, we have, this, we have this concept that people ask, what problems it solve, why do I need it, and what's the likely outcome or result? So people often ask me, and it's one of the most frequent questions I get during a Q&A at a keynote, is, so how do I create urgency? What I always tell people is, you can't create urgency, you can only help your client become aware of urgency. Mm. We, we can't create it for them. And so what happens is that if you think of it as kind of the issue that someone says they're trying to address is the tip of the iceberg, what's, what's under the surface that we don't see is the impact, meaning what happens if you don't solve it? And then the relative importance is how important is this compared to other things on your plate? So you might get someone who says, yeah, I'm really interested in the service that you provide. And we think, oh, my God, this is great. Let me forecast it. Um, I think it's going to be a Q2 deal and you're getting all excited, but they haven't convinced you this is a problem worth solving. So mm. the difference between issue and impact is issue is the question that is, is the statement they make that says, here's what I'm trying to solve. Impact is the answer to the question of, so what happens if you don't solve that? And it gets people thinking like, well, if I don't solve that, you know, I, I mean, we'll just keep plodding along. It's no big deal. That client's not going to spend money to fix that problem. It's the person who says, oh, if I don't fix this thing. I can't attract the right personnel. My clients are going to go away. Um, my dog's probably going to lose his life. I mean, mm. whatever. It's mm. you know, it's just they're they're getting they're starting to articulate why this important why this has enough impact that it's worth solving. Then we ask the question, and, and throughout the book we have scripts that give people here are the right words to use to uncover this information. Um, but importance comes down to so compared to other things on your plate, how important is it to solve this right now? Mm. So a lot of people talk about, they'll ask people a zero to 10 question. So zero to 10, how important is this? And they go, oh, it's a 10. You think, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get the deal. <laughs> but if you ask them about 30 other things on their list, they'd say they're all a 10. Mm. But if you ask them, so compared to other things on your plate, how important is this to solve right now? And they say, oh, this is number one or two. You get to say, really, why? Oh, because if we don't solve it, here are all these things that happen. And the beauty is if we ask the right questions, not only are they convincing you, the seller, but they're also convincing themselves why this is important to move forward. And that taps into the urgency and the readiness for them that says, yep, I'm ready to move forward because this is important enough to solve. As a consultant uh, myself, I've been on my share of um, get acquainted calls with someone where the questions eventually transition to what I feel like is essentially a consulting <laughs> sure. meeting, you know, and I'm like, well, either they're abusing what this call is really about, or I haven't done a good job of expressing or explaining what this call is really about. Talk about being reluctant to share too much information as a seller and why it's important to adopt the role of educator as a seller. Well, oftentimes, here's the way I look at it. It's we're often so concerned about giving away free consulting that mm. we don't share enough information to help the client realize that we can really help them. Mm. And I always draw a distinction between, especially for people, let's say, in a consulting capacity, the difference between 
providing consulting and education is that education says, here are the kinds of things we've seen for other clients in the industry and how different people have approached it. Mm. And free consulting is, let me show you exactly what we do for you so you don't have to pay me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the, the, the idea is that if I think of it as an educator, people have often been taught to ask some really bizarre questions. So <laughs> people have been taught to ask questions like, so what keeps you up at night? Mm-hmm. And, and say, oh, it's an open-ended question. It's great. You get tons of information. So you ask them, what keeps you up at night? And they say, oh, my dog licks himself. So now what do you have? <laughs> right? Now, now, you, now you, you don't have a solution for that. And so you find yourself saying, oh, and what else? Because you don't really have a good answer. So instead, what we want to do is say, well, so for a lot of other businesses like yours, here are some of the things they tell us are really important to them and where they struggle. How about for you? People say, Oh, yeah, I have that issue. Well, and people have that issue tell us that in their businesses, here's how that impacts their business. How common do you think that is? They go, oh, yeah, that's, that's mm. a good point. Yeah, I think we're having those same issues and that same impact. And what's happening is in that case, we're educating them about something that they may not have been conscious of, but now they are. Mm. And it's not dissimilar to when you go to the doctor, you might not know that there's a certain value in a blood test that's an indicator of something so you feel fine and the doctor says you know i was looking at this thing and for some patients when they have this flag in their blood work it also means this are, mm-hmm. are you open to running some tests to rule that out we would all say oh absolutely but we didn't come in there saying oh i want to run this other test <laughs> but once once we became aware that we had a symptom that might be indicative of a condition. Well, now I want to address it. It's the same sort of concept. Uh, share a bit about the differences, Ian, between presenting your solutions as as results-based versus resource-based. I, I, I thought that was, uh, was powerful in the sense that I think oftentimes as sellers, well, results-based means I'm held accountable. And I just want to deal in this resources area over here. <laughs> Well, and, and guess what? And results-based does mean that you're you're accountable, but it also means that when you're assuming some of that risk, your mm. clients will likely step up and be willing to pay more. The easiest way to get mm. commoditized, let me step back for a second, which is one of the biggest complaints I hear from services companies is, oh, we provide great, great stuff. And our clients just focus on price. And they treat us all like a commodity. And the easiest way to be treated like a commodity is to trade dollars for hours. Hmm. Because if all you're selling is the resource, you say, oh yeah, well, you know, yeah, so here's what I'm going to charge you for 20 hours of my work. Well, what if I need 30 hours? Hmm. Well, then I'm going to charge you 50% more. And the reality is that there, there has never been a business that said, you know what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for 34.2 hours <laughs> of a consultant's time. No, they're saying, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Hmm. And can this person help me solve it? Mm. And the reason I need to solve it is because of this issue. And here's how it's impacting our business. Mm. And so what we want to focus on is the results, not the resources. So it's not a matter of here are the, here are the resources I'm going to deliver to you. It's, look, so here's the problem that, that, that you've described to us. And here's how it's impacting your business. Now, let me ask you this question. Just because you pay us doesn't mean that we're successful. What could we measure together six months down the road, a year down the road to know that we were successful? And now mm-hmm. we start focusing on the results. Well, the beauty is if we start having a dialogue with our client about results and our competitors are not, then who looks like a more attractive solution? Well, the other people are just selling us resources. These people are focused on the results. Mm-hmm. 
And there's an interesting dynamic. I will ask people. So if I'm if I'm speaking to a room full of CEOs and executives, I will ask them. So how much more would you pay for somebody who's focused on results versus just the sale? And for starters, everyone says they would pay more. And the average number I hear is about 15 percent. And there's usually somebody who says, well, no, you know, I I don't know that I would pay more. And then I asked the following question, which is, so how much less would you have to pay for it to be a good deal, but you don't get the results that you need? (laughs) And the answer, of course, is I need to pay 100 percent less because if I don't get the results I need, it's no good. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if I went on vacation with a family of six and I rented a minivan and I get there and the car rental company says, oh, Jim, sorry, we don't have a minivan, but we do have this convertible Camaro that we normally rent for $200 a day. But today I'll give it to you for $10. So the first thing that goes to your mind is, so if I get in the car with my spouse, then I can't leave the kids behind. But maybe if I take one of the kids and then quickly you realize, well, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> right? But there is a fleeting moment where you think maybe I could pull this off. Right. <laughs> but the reality is that at that point, it doesn't matter what you pay because you're not getting the results that you need. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was just selling resources, someone would say, well, car's a car. But it's not. So if we focus on results with our clients and we ask that question that says, so what does success look like? And nobody else is asking that. Mm-hmm. That's a clear way to stand out. So every time you hear a response from a potential client about price – if you counter with results, it's pretty powerful. So let's say in your business, on the consulting side, you go out and pitch to somebody something and you say, hey, it's $50,000. They say, well, someone else, someone else said it would be 35000 hmm. You could either get in a battle about how much time you're going to spend and a resource discussion. You could say, you know, the only way we could do it for less than $50,000 is if we put these results that we discussed at risk. And I'm not comfortable doing that unless you tell me that those results really don't matter. So, so what do you think? Mm. <laughs> and now the client says, well, no, because those results really matter. And that other mm. vendor must just not know what they're doing. Mm. Mm. And it changes the dynamic when we focus on results instead of resources. Mm. Uh, there's this uh, technique that Ian describes in uh, Ian and Jack describe, and I think it's chapter seven uh, of the book of, of stepping back and admitting, if appropriate, that the buyer may be better off as somebody else's. A solution. Is there ever any danger, Ian, of that turning into a gimmick? Do you have to watch out for, for that? Well, it, it always has to be based on integrity. So mm. the reality is that if you truly think the client's better off with somebody else, then if you take them on as a client, you're stepping into the vortex of evil. Yeah. Because it's just going to be a time suck. The client's going to be frustrated. You're going to spend exponentially more time than you normally would, and they're not going to be happy. I'll give you a perfect example I had a I had a woman contact me a while back and she said, well, we have this event coming up and it's for our top 500 women in sales and we'd like to see if you're available to keynote it. And I said, you know, I'm really flattered and thanks so much. And what was it that made you feel that I'd be a good fit for this? And so we went, went through a little back and forth and, and I said, just out of curiosity, have you considered having a female speaker instead of a male speaker? If I'm one of the 500 women in the audience, I might wonder why this guy is speaking to me Mm. instead of a woman. There's some phenomenal female speakers. And she said, yeah, we haven't found any. I said, well, would you be open to me suggesting some other people? And if you feel comfortable with them, I think your audience might prefer that. Now, it wasn't that I didn't want to speak to the audience. Mm. I just felt if this is an event for 500 women in sales, and I know there are some brilliantly talented women speakers on sales, Mm. they're probably just better served with that. So it's not that I didn't want to do the work. 
in fact, I would have loved to have done the event. Now, six months later, they said, oh, we have our general national sales meeting. There's about 3,500 people. Are you available on this date? Now, I didn't do the first thing because I thought the second thing would happen. Mm. I just said, you know what? They're probably better served this way. Let me look out for their interest. Now, it's very easy to do that when you don't need the business. Mm. And I recognize it's harder when you do need the business, but just recognize Everybody has a client who they wish wasn't their client. <laughs> and when you're when you're taking on somebody who is who you know isn't a fit, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be that miserable existence. Mm, so true. Well, I've, I've got a couple of questions, Ian, I want to ask in the time we have left that aren't directly related to the book. Before I do that, is is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we that we walk away with? You know what? There's a, there's a concept that we teach in there called the same side quadrant. So a lot of these mm. concepts are ideas that people can get that they say, okay, how do I put these into practice? And one of the one of the new elements to the second edition of the book is a concept we introduced called the same side quadrants. And the idea visually is that if you take a blank sheet of paper, vertical line down the center, a horizontal line across the center, creating four quadrants, and there's pictures of it in the book, you, you basically, it's a method for taking notes in a meeting. Mm. So in the upper left quadrant, we take notes about the issue, meaning what is it that they said they're interested in. In the upper right quadrant is where we take notes about the impact importance, meaning what happens if you don't solve this? And compared to other things on your plate, how important is it to address this now? In the lower left quadrant, we take notes about the results, meaning what are we going to measure together to know this is successful? And the lower right quadrant is where we take notes about who else might be impacted, who else needs to be included to make sure we don't miss anything. Mm. And it means that we're focused on the right things that will move the needle. See, most people come out of a meeting and they say, oh, I had the best meeting. It's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. We we're supposed to meet for only 20 minutes. And instead, the meeting lasted for an hour. <laughs> and man, we just clicked as soon as we got together and the meeting went so well, we've already agreed that next week we're going to meet again. And that would be a great way to summarize a phenomenal interaction that was set up on an online dating site. <laughs> but it's not a great way to measure a good business meeting. Mm -hmm. But the same side quadrants gives you a framework that you can quickly look at a snapshot and say, that's a good opportunity worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. And we profile companies in the uh, in the bonus content that more than double their business, in some cases going from 17 million to over 100 million in three years, going from 20% of their team to over 90% of their team hitting their numbers within a year. And they follow the same side quadrants as the structure for doing that. And we've got journals that people can get on Amazon or they can just draw on a sheet of paper themselves. But for years, people were asking, well, do you guys produce a journal? And we said, no. <laughs> And then finally, we listened to our own customers and said, maybe they would like this. And mm. it ends up being pretty popular. Well, that's definitely a technique I plan to implement. I didn't realize journal was an option. So I'm definitely going to look that up after after we get finished. Well, uh, th think about the, the books you've read over the course of your career, Ian. And I want you to think about, in particular, the, the two or three that stand out um, above all the rest as having had an impact on you. And if you can, share those books and, and why they impacted you as they did. Um, it's interesting. I think Dan Pink's To Sell as Human. Dan mm. and I know each other. And when when he wrote To Sell as Human, there were so many concepts that cut really across all types of um, industries and positions. Mm. And it just humanized the side of sales. So that's one. Seth Godin's Purple Cow is the other one. That whole idea of Seth and I were just in an event together on Monday. And that whole idea of how do you stand out and why is something that's just been pivotal. Also, his all of his teachings about permission-based marketing. Mm. I'm a big fan of don't harass people. You want to make sure that you're building a tribe of people who actually care about what you do. Mm. 
not oh I I interrupted somebody and now I expect them to like me it just mm. doesn't work so those are the ones that are probably the biggest for me I mean there's there's so many I mean I've got a bookshelf here that goes on forever and I could just keep picking books off but we'll stay with those <laughs> two for now and and interesting as I recall both of those authors are quoted in same side selling Seth's uh, Purple Cow was was huge for me one of the business books I read I guess back when it came out 2003 or so that sort of reignited I don't want to want to overstate it necessarily, but but I spent most of my 20s not doing a lot of reading. But then when I read Purple Cow, I'm like, wow, I need to read more. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a, it sort of reignited my, my passion for reading that, that school had kind of, for lack of a better way of saying it, educated out of me. <laughs> and I, I often credit Purple Cow as, as the reason for, for the show's existence uh, and have been very fortunate to have had Seth appear on the show. Um, well, as a successful speaker, uh, I'd love to know, uh, Ian, what some of your tips are for uh, delivering a talk that is going to just provide immense value to your audience and impact them in, in a powerful way. Well, for me, what I what I always look at is what am I giving the audience that they can put to work tomorrow? Mm. So if I give people an abstract concept, but don't tell them how to use it, <laughs> then they go, wow, that was really cool. And then the next day, there's nothing they can do about it. Mm. So for me, it's always, and here's how to implement it. The same side quadrants came from that where Early on, after the first edition of Same Side Selling came out, I was sitting with a client who says, yeah, I'm just having trouble remembering this. And I said, well, there's four key components. Like, let me show it to you. And I just drew a vertical line down the page, horizontal line. Let's think of it this way. And I wrote them down and then kind of paused and said, yeah, that should have been in the book. <laughs> and, and similarly, from stage, it's a matter of one of the things that we'll do, for example, is after every keynote, we send an infographic with the key summary points and how to apply them in your business. Mm. Similarly, on my podcast, every podcast ends with, here's a 30-second recap of what you can use and apply to your business. Mm. And it's just a matter of when we give people a lot of information, if we don't package it up with a bow on it and make it easy for them to use it, then there's a pretty good chance that most of it is going to be forgotten. And so, for example, for me, I spend a lot of time, we survey our audiences wherever we can up front. And then I come on stage and say, here are the five things you told me are the most important. And that's the, that's what I'm going to cover in my keynote today. Hmm. And people say, oh, my God, how do you do that? It's <laughs> like, well, truth be told, it's usually the same five things. <laughs> but but it makes the audience feel like, wow, this is laser focused to us. And it's not hmm. truly always the same five things. There are a lot of subtleties and differences. And there's probably a dozen different things of which three or four come to the top. But the, the, the point is that you always want to look at it as – I'm taking my audience from A to B, and if I don't understand where they're at now at A, I can't effectively help get you to B. Mm. And so my job when I'm on stage is not just to entertain, which is certainly my job. It's not just to educate or inspire them, which is also my job, but it's to make sure that they can execute and, mm. and I can empower them to actually achieve some results. So the great thing for me is after I've given a keynote and someone says, you know, we implemented those first two concepts you said to implement, and here are the results we're already seeing. Mm. That's when I know we've done something significant because I feel that sometimes someone speaks, everyone feels good, but they leave. And if you look at their sheet of paper where they were taking notes, it's got the speaker's name, maybe the session title, and there are no notes. And that just <laughs> isn't acceptable for me. Mm. I, I headed up a, a weekend long event once and was able to tap into someone who administered surveys for me throughout the event. And we were able to make changes and adjustments and improve the event as the event unfolded. And I found that to be truly powerful. I mean, obviously we did things in advance to, to make sure we were delivering what the crowd only wanted, but we also allowed ourselves to make those adjustments along the way as, as needed. And it proved to be super successful. You know, Jeff, I mean, that's, that's brilliant. And it's something that 
for example, when I'm doing a full day immersion program for companies, every time after a break, I say, so, so what are you thinking doesn't apply to you? Mm. Where are you thinking to yourself? Well, that's all good and well, but you haven't solved this issue for me. People say, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right? And then they'll raise something and then yeah. I can adapt going forward. But the idea of a real-time serving your audience is even better. Well, uh, finally, uh, what's what's ahead for you? What's around the corner that uh, you're excited about that's coming up that, uh, that you want to share? Well, we're working on an online learning center. So we have a Facebook group called the Same Side Selling Academy hmm. that people can join for free. And it's just like-minded people who are implementing Same Side Selling. And so there's some spirited discussions in there about different strategies. And someone will say, hey, I'm stuck in this area. What do other people think? That's going to evolve into a whole online learning center so that the idea is there, there's a segment of the of the world that I feel I can help that, you know, that the nature of my keynotes and immersions might be more than they can bite off. Or it's people who say, we want this level of reinforcement for our team. Is there a relatively low cost way that we can do that? And so mm. we're we're developing this online learning center as part of the same site selling academy that will provide those types of little micro lessons so each one is three minutes long it's typically whiteboard animation mm. and it's just hey when you're in this situation here are three ways to respond to it and it's intended so that somebody could be sitting outside of a potential meeting say man this might come up search for that scenario and get a three-minute clip that gives them the confidence to perform better in the moment Mm, love that. I'll be sure and put a link uh, to that Facebook group, too, in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, well, the book, again, is called Same Side Selling, How Integrity and Collaboration Drive Extraordinary Results for Sellers and Buyers, uh, co-written by Jack Quarles. And our guest today, Mr. Ian Altman. Ian, thank you so much for, for being a part of the show and for sharing so freely your, your uh, expertise and your experience. Jeff, I really appreciate the conversation. Great questions. Thanks for having me on. If you want to dig deeper, go to the blog post I've created for this episode. There, among other things, you will find the link to the Same Side Quadrant Journal Ian talked about, a link to his website and how to connect to Ian via social media, as well as links to the books that Ian recommended. All that and more at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 269 for episode 269. Remember that free book I offered to send you, normally $15 on Amazon. It's called Published, written by Chandler Bolt. You get it for free when you sign up for his free self-publishing training at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. For questions, comments, or feedback on the Read to Lead podcast, I encourage you to reach out to me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. So glad you're here for this go around. Hope to see you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 